Let's imagine the not-too-distant future. You feel more in control of your photos than you ever have before. You look forward to the regular creative dates on your calendar. You're moving forward on that project that means so much to you. You are on fire with inspiration, and you are finally scrapbooking consistently. This is not a hypothetical, it's a real-life possibility. And for the first time, I've created a workshop specifically focused on the problem of consistency. It's called Sparked, and I'm excited to share it with you for free. Visit simplescrapper.com sparked to get access to the training and make this possibility your reality. So stories do have an impact on how we behave and how we think and how we perceive the world, and that's why they matter. You know, we hear this catch cry all the time, stories matter, but we need to be telling people why they matter so that they can equate that relevance into how they document. You know, they matter because they change the way we feel and see things. Welcome to Scrapbook Your Way, the show that explores the breadth of ways to be a memory keeper today. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson owner of Simple Scrapper and author of The New Rules of Scrapbooking. This is episode 128. In this episode, we explore the memories and meaning behind Sally Wilson's scrapbooking philosophy, including how she uses photos to let stories play the starring role. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to share that Sally has offered listeners a special coupon code for her digital shop. You can find the details in the show notes for this episode at simplescrapper.com SYW128. And now my conversation with Sally. Hey, Sally, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Jennifer. I'm very excited to be here today. Oh, likewise. Can you kick things off a little bit by sharing a just a tiny bit about yourself so our audience can get to know you better? Um, yes, I'm Australian. You can probably tell that by the accent. I currently live in Adelaide, but I've lived um, in a variety of places over Australia. Um, I'm 53 and I've got eldest child syndrome. So my I grew up in a police family. So my father was in the military police. So I've lived in Malaysia as a child and grew up in Australia and I've traveled parts of Asia and the United States but my dad eventually worked in Qantas so my family have been all around the world except for me (laughs) so yeah bucket list very cool I hope to get to that side of the world at some point Mm. Uh, my my husband really really wants to go there it's on his like major bucket list so yeah we're working on it. I have one of my best friends actually lives in Darwin and has oh. lived there for more than a decade, but I've not been able to make it over to visit him yet. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So we always like to talk about the things that are exciting us in memory keeping. So can you share one or two things that's exciting you right now? Um, yes, I can. I, I'm a bit of a minimalist, so I like to bring outside things into how I structure how I memory keep and document my own living memories. And so at the moment, I'm really into minimalism and essentialism. Greg McEwen, he has a whole podcast on that. So an application of his um, insight, I've adapted that to how I 
organise my time to be able to memory keep. Um, if you're not familiar with him, Google him. <laughs> um, it's worth the, the time and investment that you spend getting to know more about his ideas and insights. They're um, quite profound and inspiring. So that's exciting for me because it directly relates to how I as a dyn- uh, designer interpret that and apply that to my design strategy, especially in my business. Um, yeah. Can so you go a little bit more into how how you structure your time? Yeah. With I'd, that in mind? Yeah, I'd like to um, preface that by saying that as a designer, one thing that I've noticed is a lot of people comment um, when when we talk about pain points that people have in memory keeping, um, it's really interesting to me that their pain points come back as not as product-related, not as the actual desire to do anything or the motivation to do anything. It's always related to time investment. Most people are time-starved and not resource-poor. So I always make sure... Well, for myself, Sunday is our family day. It's the day I practice my religious beliefs. I go to church. Um, So I spend the afternoon after church doing my family history, doing genealogy, visiting the seat, doing all of those things. Um, So if I don't get to something during the week, I know that I've got Sunday to be able to tie things up and put a bow around it, if that makes sense. And I just keep things very simple. So I'm one of these people that, I like to be organized. I like to have structure and routine because it allows me to be more flexible with my time. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it actually does because I'm not blowing in the wind everywhere and having to meet the needs of things that don't add value to my life, if that makes sense. No, it 100% does. And I think that's so amazing. I've been even just working on really specific things like, okay, I, my laundry's going like, okay, but I know it could be better so that I'm not worrying about it or frantically trying to get something washed for my daughter when she needs it. Like if I can just get into a habit and a routine around it, that gives me more flexibility in the rest of my time. So that's yeah. it's so, so true. Yeah, I find it interesting. Most people you, you see in forums and they talk about, oh, if I could only get motivated or I'm you know stuck in January and I haven't done this, I actually don't believe in motivation. If I had to wait to be motivated to do things that are essential or even the non-essentials, I'd be dead in the water. I find that I've just, you have to be disciplined, you know, and if you haven't got a desire to do something, work on that first because that is critical to discipline, you know? Oh, yeah. No, such a, such a lovely thought and very, something that we have to really think about our our why and our meaning and our connection to these things that we say we want to do. And therefore you need that discipline because you can't just wait to get, you know, energized about it because there's always going to be something in the way. I know. And the interesting thing for me is this, um, I don't know what you call it, mindset, this mindset of, oh, I've got to catch up this or I'm behind or whatever. It's because I think a lot of people sit in the story analogy. You know, a story has a middle, a beginning and an end and we feel like we have to start something, have the process of doing it and then we can finish it off, tie it in a boat and it's done. But our life isn't like that. It's built up, you know, we have this narrative which is messy. It can be articulated but it's it's quite messy and it's flexible and it's up and down. It's, it's very fluid. And 
So we sit in a narrative, but we have this story mentality or mindset um, of having a, you know, start, a finishing, a middle. And that doesn't work for us because we're humans and, you know, we're, we're telling this narrative which is made up of all of these little stories, you know. If you think of a pearl necklace, the narrative is the actual necklace and the, and mm. the stories are all these little pearls that join together to create this beautiful jewellery, you know. So... Well, and sometimes there's that pressure to maybe scrapbook in order, in chronological order, but our, our, our life it doesn't, even though our life is flowing, our creativity doesn't necessarily flow that way. And sometimes it's so helpful to bounce around and follow your own intuition and what's, what you're into right now and tell that story and put, mm. tie that little tiny little bow around it and then go on to the next thing. Yeah, because we can't all write about our childhood until we have the maturity and articulation to be able to do that, you know? Mm. So interesting. Very cool. All right. So... Going deeper into story, we love to talk about our bucket list stories. So oh, these yeah. are some sometimes bigger, significant stories, ones that we want to make sure get told. So do you have a bucket list story that you have in mind? Oh, I do. Um, my father recently passed away unexpectedly in, in October of 2020. And so being able to write about that experience and how that um, looked for myself um, as a sibling trying to comfort my other siblings and also mm. as the daughter and as the support. Um, yeah, that's on my bucket list. Emotionally, <laughs> um, it's one of those things that I think is going to be evolving um, because whilst I kept a journal while the actual event was on, I just went deadpan silence and I could see my siblings you know they're texting and keeping up with their social and keeping up with friends I just went dead silent because I really wanted to just absorb the impact of it and oh don't want to cry <laughs> um experience and just remember the influence of his life and how significant that that was oh sorry and yes so. no it's no problem um I'm so sorry for your loss but I think that You've, you know, we're all so unique in our response to things. And I think mm. it's so important to honor that. Yeah. Thanks for being. So the reason I wanted to have you on this episode is we are in our photography journey at Simple Scrapper. This is a two-month period where we're exploring a theme. And it's not just about photography, but the love of photos, photo editing, photo management. Um, and your brand tagline is narrative stationary for the modern memory keeper. As you mentioned, you have a very minimal design sensibility. So can you just kind of share a little bit more about what you would do as a designer, your mission and your business, and then this kind of give us an impression of the overall design aesthetic that you have? Um, yeah, that's quite a thing to comment. But to, <laughs> Sorry. No, that's I'll all try right. to remind you of all the parts. <laughs> okay. You may need to, um, you know, I'm over 50 now. Um I think for myself, I've always been somebody who has the philosophy of less is more. I grew up like that. Um, you know, occasionally I had a messy room, um, but it was always sorted by the weekend. And I think that's just carried over into my personality and how I structure my life, you know, in the various aspects that I have stewardship in. So that is reflected in my brand. I love white space. <laughs> Um, I need it. It reminds me there's no noise in it, if that makes sense. So so with my design approach, I always had in the back of my mind that I never wanted anything that I did to distract from the actual narratives that people combined with my product, if that makes sense. 
I always mm-hmm. wanted I always wanted whatever I did to be the supporting act and not the hero of whatever the audience are looking at. I don't want it to distract from the thing that is essential and most important and that is to have the voice and to be seen and heard, you know, whether it's on a piece of paper or in a huge gallery, it doesn't matter. You know, that's important. The story is the thing. So really just to support that. Um, just to illustrate that, I um, my, my grandmothers, maternal and paternal, they both were memory keepers and when I my grandmother passed away, her name's Mim, that's her nickname, I inherited six of her Book of Remembrances mm. and it was a bit overwhelming, to be honest, because they're absolutely loaded with personal history and insight and just lovely. And, you know, in addition to that, she had volumes, like a library of journals that she had kept over the span of her lifetime. Um, come back to that later if we do. And what was interesting for me between my two grandmothers, like one was born in 1908 and one was born in 1921, so really only a decade apart, my grandma Smith, (laughs) my paternal grandmother, she had a lot of photos and not a lot of words that went with them. So the impact of what she actually left for her posterity wasn't as significant as the impact that my that Mim left um, with her photos and the reasons behind these photos and why she was including these photos and, yeah, just the general story or narrative of her living memories. And that significantly impacts the way I view what people may need um, because I'm thinking of the bigger picture. I'm not just thinking of, you know, how my food looks at a beautiful restaurant and how Mm -hmm. lush the experience was to be able to go to a restaurant, you know. I'm thinking of um, what significance or what value is this going to add in someone, in, you know, the audience receiving this. Is it going to really add any value? It's nice to see what people do on a day-to-day basis because it's significant to the history of that era. But what's more significant to me is the the stories that have impact and influence and how they create um, a change in thought or behaviour because that changes our environment and that makes a more harmonious world if we can have more impactful stories. So that's how I view that's what my approach is to documenting to encourage people to have a narrative um, that will be impactful for their family. Now that's that's will have a variation on where you live, what you do, what your core values are, all of that sort of stuff. So if taking a photo of the restaurant food is significant, um, then that's significant. Do you know what I mean? But make it impactful. Mm, yes. Mm. We all have to make those choices, but that's each choice is an illustration of our story of mm. what we want to include and what we think should be remembered, what we want to remember, even if we're the only ever future viewer of these projects. Mm. Um, but I, I love this perspective and that you are, you're coming at it from the a minimalist design sensibility to allow the stories to shine. Because I think sometimes there's this kind of perceived conflict between, well, if you're going to be super simple and, and minimal about it, then it's not about the story. But that's not true at all with your approach and the products that you create for it. Yeah, so I, I guess, love that. I guess, you know, there's a place for everything. And I love the, mm-hmm. I love the creative footprint that people have with their art you know, with the, the mediums that they use, but that's not for that's not my niche. That's not how mm-hmm. I deliver my personal stories. Yeah. So So what are the types of products that you create? 
um, at the moment, it's just digital products. I've been down that path mm-hmm. of creating um, physical product. I just like the digital product because there's so much available to be able to use in this digital environment that we live in and it's so accessible and it's reasonably priced. So uh, especially since the market for memory keeping is really driven out of the United States, um, yeah. it makes sense to be digital because it's um, challenging to get physical product outside of the United States. Yeah, so just made sense to stick with that. And, yeah, I hope I've answered that question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you. So maybe just kind of wrapping that up, though, what do you think you do that's that's different from what other digital designers oh, do? Sorry, I didn't even answer that. Yeah, that's, that's a really okay. good question. And, you know, sometimes the struggle is answering that. Um, I think my point of difference potentially would be the focus on the narrative, like what's mm-hmm. the story and helping people with that because I think some of the struggle that people experience is tied up with what should I write about, where do I start, how important is this, and you know, you can freeze in those moments of not having clarity on that. So to provide more structured approach to um, a narrative or a story, I think that's probably my niche as opposed to the creative process of how it looks good on a page or or that, I, you know, every month I put out some monthly prompts and they're not prompts about, you know, take a picture of something that's blue or take, take a picture of this, they're, they're thought questions so that people can delve more into who they really are and what they do and what their hopes and desires are for not just now but for their future or what has moulded them as a person to enhance their character, you know, and how that process in their own life, how that impacts on their community and their families. Hmm. Oh, so, so beautiful. <laughs> that oh. was just a mic drop. Let's just stop me here. I'm kidding. But uh, no, I just, I, I can tell that we're kind of on the same wavelength with how we want to help memory keepers, even though we do it in very different ways. Mm. Um, we want, um, we want each creative, no matter what style that they have, to mm. really be in touch with their stories and and how they can express them. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, you, your, your photography is so striking and you have this beautiful uh, design style and you're a memory keeper yourself. Like what order did those come into your life? Oh yeah. That's so simple. I can answer that. Um, Memory keeping first. Um, Probably going to sound very strange, especially to your audience, but it's a religious practice for me. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in a Latter-day Saint family, so I was writing in journals before I even went to preschool. I would sit at the dining room table with my grandmother who lived with us and she would have her book of remembrances out and she'd be writing a story about her grandparents at the time, my great-grandparents or her great-great-grandparents. And so it started from a very young age and I think we have, an, uh, we have an evening called Family Home Evening, which is a Monday night and it's set aside for families. And on that Monday night, it was a practice for our family that we had these little exercise books, you know, the little school ones that you get with the lines, mm-hmm. and we would journal write, you know. And if we had nothing to write, my dad would give us a prompt or a quote and say, what do you think of that? Or, you know, um, at the beginning of the year, we would all sit down and the very first things out of the bat for us was having a new journal from mum and dad. And the things that we had to write in that was like what season we were in, where we lived, what the cost of a, 
pint, you know, might be a pint for you, but a litre for us in Australia, how much milk cost, Mm -hmm. uh, how much essential living was. And it's so interesting to look back on those things and see the evolution of history, I suppose, from my point of view as opposed from history books. Um, So it's really interesting. So memory keeping definitely came first for me and it came via family history, to be honest. Um, I was fortunate enough to know my great-grandmother and have memories of her and her little advice to me. I've got to tell you this tidbit, okay? So when I was seven, before she died, we went to visit her. And she said to me, and at this time I didn't um, understand the gravity of what she was saying, but she was a very, very prim and proper woman. You know, she would sip her cups of tea and, you know, wedge wood and things like that. And she said, Sally, darling, (laughs) Um, she said, I'm probably not going to be around to see your wedding, but she said, I want you to remember this. She said, when your husband comes home from work, always put on a fresh apron apron, and have a little bit of lipstick on. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that sounds ridiculous, but I actually like make sure, you know, the philosophy is just be clean and welcoming, you know, so when your husband comes home, um, that was important for her era. And Ironically, it's important for me that my husband comes home to a good environment and a happy wife, (laughs) happy wife, happy life, you know, Um, and yeah, but I think um, just to share one story and to illustrate how impactful our stories are between generations is my grandmother's father, he was an engineer um, and his name was Benjamin and they had a family tradition of they would go to what was called Bernardo's, which was an orphanage at Easter and Christmas and they would... Um, that was the only time the orphanage would allow people to take children home um, to mm-hmm. celebrate those seasonal traditions. And so on one such occasion on Christmas morning, my grandmother had received a bride doll from Santa and she had it with her as she went with her father to this orphanage to bring a little boy and a little girl home for Christmas Day. And a little girl reached through the fence to touch this bride doll as they were walking up the gate and my grandmother snatched the doll away from her and she said, don't, you're dirty. And instantly mm. my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather took the new bride doll from her and gave it to that girl and said, you will never speak to another human like that. They are not less than you. And her telling this story it has impacted how I see the value of other people and what their worth is. Um, so stories do have an impact on how we behave and how we think and how we perceive the world, and that's why they matter. You know, we hear this catch cry all the time, stories matter, but we need to be telling people why they matter so that they can equate that relevance into how they document. You know, they matter because they change the way we feel and see things. Um, um, it was... Um, Recently I put a post up about, you know, if we could read people's stories, we would love them more, you know. They Mm. reveal so much about the trials and the triumphs of people's life, you know. Um, Even the worst and and the best of us, we we need to nurture everyone and I think our stories do that because they create a connection. It was Sister Hinkler who said that, but anyway. Mm. They do 100%. I think that's just so such a powerful way to think about it and that our stories not only reflect just what happened in our lives Mm. but the values that we have the traditions and it's such an awesome example yeah oh I forgot to answer your question about um 
the photography side of things, why I do that with my photos. Go ahead. Oh, the reason I, um, it's one of the biggest questions I get. It's actually the top two questions I get about my work is the photography, believe it or not. It's so simple. I do not use a filter. I use the edit that's already in my phone. I increase the brightness of my photos because iPhones are backlit, so you need to do that. Um, oh, otherwise, yes. they'll be darker. And I desaturate the color. And the reason I do that is so that on every page, the photos will have a, a blending tool and they're not going to distract from the actual narrative. That's just my personal vision of it because I look at my grandparents' photos. Most of them are sepia or black and white. Um, I look at my parents' photos. They're all over the shop, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, Probably so, pretty yellow at this point, a lot of them. Yeah, and yellow, exactly. So, yeah, that's why I, I do that. So increase the brightness and desaturate the color. That's it. Simple, right? Just keep it simple. Wow, I didn't realize it was so simple. Yeah, just really, really simple. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm. No, very cool. I guess kind of going more into your photography, um, what cameras are you using? Are you using your phone? Do you have a big camera? No, iPhone. That's it. (laughs) Just the iPhone. Yeah, sometimes my photos are really, uh, and other times I'm a winner. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Well, Well, as our phones get better too, they take a little bit better pictures and make us look like better photographers. Exactly. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about your photo editing philosophy and you you want the photos to not detract from the design and the words. So yeah. when you're putting together a page, mm. obviously you're using your own products, mm. but what's your process there? Um. First of all, I probably to break it down so there's, you know, story bites so people get it, is I have pillars. <laughs> so what's my story pillar, for instance? What's this story going to be about? And then I start to gather. So I actually have this in my head. It's called the three P's. So I have a, um, uh, sorry, I have a plan. Then I have a process, which I call polishing, and then a print. So that's the last thing. So just keep it simple, you know. So my plan is what's my story pillar here? What do I need for that? And then I gather the stuff and polish it all up, and then I'll print it out. So to dumb that down for myself, um, say say I go to a, a concert. Okay, we went to a concert when we lived in Perth, the Zimmerman one. Um the story pillar of that was actually the hot date with the husband, um, how he had grabbed, you know, purchased these tickets because I really wanted to go and see this, right? And so it was about that as opposed to the concert, but the concert was the byproduct of his tender feelings for me, if that makes sense. Mm. It's a, a story yes. about a relationship. It's a love story, you know? And so the story pillar for that was the love story. So um, then I just gathered some photos from that and wrote about, him, the process of that, the concert was great. I really enjoyed that. And then put it in it, you know, got the photos printed and, and yeah, just put it in my, I have a personal history album and that's an ongoing thing and I have a few of those. Um, and then I will have what I call a bite story go into my weekly yearbook. So that's mm-hmm. very different structure of how I do my own personal history. I hope that made well, sense. Well, I think that... that 
Your example there is so important because so often the the real story is the one, it's like the story behind the story. Mm. Sure, you went and did the thing, mm. but why does that matter in the grand scheme of life? Why does that matter to you as a person or to the people that you were with? Mm. That's the real story. Uh, sometimes it had really like, yay, we did a fun thing, but yeah. it's really about the people you celebrate it with and... You know, the connections it has to the past and your other memories. So that's uh, those are the stories that I like to tell as well. Yeah, the stories have layers, and that's why I have different methods or different formats of keeping my memories. Mm-hmm. So like I call them living memories because I'm making them while I'm alive, right? <laughs> so yeah, the the story that went into the album was about the concert and the and the great gesture, but the story that went into my own personal history was about the reverence my husband has for me, my needs and how he meets those and how I love that about him. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love the, the, the separation in formats. I was actually just uh, interviewing another guest this week talking about how she does the Heidi Swap storyline chapters books. It's really much more of a project life approach of here's the little bits of our life. Mm-hmm. And then, she gets ideas from that to go and tell deeper stories and more mm. personal stories mm. w- that are also more creative for her in a different format. Mm. So I think we all do it in different ways, yeah, but we, we love do. having these little outlets that are slightly different yeah. for those. And that's why I call them layers because the essential stories, we got on a train, we went into the city, we went to this concert and came home. And, and But the narrative is so much more than that. That's only a portion of that whole narrative of you know why he bought the tickets for me blah 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 you know yeah I don't want to labor that but you get it (laughs) oh for sure like let's let's shift gears and talk a little bit about your use of typography Mm. so obviously we you're you're very story focused so it's about the words but you have a very unique approach to your typography it's it has its own white space. Mm. <laughs> you, you, you're very uh, spacious and clean and minimal in your typography. And I'm curious, like, do you have any rules of thumb as you're designing something for yourself or, or creating something in your own memory keeping? Yes. You'll think this is funny, but I am going to share it. In high school, they used to call me the human typewriter because my writing was so neat and tidy <laughs> and tiny. <laughs> I even had a... Um, a uh, school teacher asked me to rewrite my essay because it was too small for him. <laughs> and what I compacted oh, wow. <laughs> over three pages, um, you know, turned out to be about seven pages and he asked for three pages. So, you know, anyway, long story short. Um, yes, I do have um, rules of thumb. Um, I never use more than three fonts or typefaces. That's essential. Mm-hmm. Um, visually it's just appealing. You know, the eye um can only take so much stimulus <laughs> um so that's one rule um and I always have write my um subject line in something that's a little bit more profound or bold and my body text is just very simple um I kern so I space my letters just so that it's not all congested, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I I really like the space, and I think it's important to have that space, just because we are so visual and depend on that. You know, um, yeah, design's a very visual thing, and we've only got ten seconds, or actually, we've only got three seconds to really take things in. So, if you quickly scan something and it doesn't make sense to you, 
you've lost your audience. That's just how it is. So I always want to make sure that my my bold text or the story pillar, as I like to call it, the heading mm-hmm. is known so that people know what they're going to read, you know, because you don't want to get halfway through a sentence and go, oh, this doesn't relate to it. No, I'm not going to read that. So you're thinking both kind of at the same time about the overall impression of the, the hypothetical viewer um, mm. as well as the little details as you're adding that. Mm. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, I just think um, you identify with that. You know, you see a particular font from another company, you know immediately who's done that. Um, you know, you look at, um, yeah, Paisley Press, Teresa Collins, they, you know, even um, Ali Edwards, you know her handwriting and you know her font mm-hmm. style straight away. Um, it's quite liberating just to be able to identify someone from a font. I mean, that's quite unique for any era. Like that's unique to our era actually. Oh, most certainly. And I think the more that you use them yourself, whether you're a designer or just a memory keeper, the more mm. you start noticing the use of fonts elsewhere in the world mm. and, um, I don't know. I personally have found that we've kind of become so, how do we say it? Like great typography has become so trendy. It's mm. almost boring now mm. sometimes in the world. Like they're mm. doing it just because it's trendy. So mm. now it's no longer interesting. Mm. Um, you know, the example of, you know, Archer, Martha Stewart's font, mm-hmm. like it was so trendy and cool for so long. And then now you see it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I totally understand that. And, you know, people like Vogue and Harper's Bazaar who use that to identify their actual business and magazine, um, yeah. you know, that's why they don't talk about their topography because it's part of their intellectual property. So, oh, yeah, sure. it's quite it's quite interesting. Um, I think with um, my topography also, I like to use it as an art format um, because mm-hmm. eight point is readable. So if you're in the print industry, any font that has eight points, and that's legible, you can read that. Anything lower than that then starts to become an interesting experience. So I don't <laughs> mind going lower than that to put something small on a page just to make it an art format, if that makes sense, like volume number off to the side that probably isn't related but it looks great on the page. It, it, it is a design aesthetic, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Mm. I, I'm curious, you're, with your narrative emphasis here, how do you keep a clean design while also still including lots of words? Is, is it some of it the choice of using smaller type? Um, yeah, I usually... Or some of, I guess, the tricks that you use? Yeah, no, I usually stick to an eight point because um, I wear glasses now. <laughs> Um, so I usually stick to just an eight point. Um, sometimes I'll go smaller, but yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that because I, I just load into, um, you know, a three by four card. What's essential basically, you know, Mm -hmm. I think about, okay, um, to the audience who's going to be reading this, whoever that may be, um, you know, what, what do I want them to gain from what I'm saying? You know, I don't want to waste their time by reading something. You know, time's valuable. So what do I want to say and is it really impactful? Is it is it worth 
worth writing about, you know. Um, I think with the yearbook, what I do is it's really about my, you know, our day-to-day living, the repetitive of the mundane, which changes our lives, right, because it develops our mm-hmm. character and our habits, blah, 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 all the rest of it. So I don't mind putting in the mundane stuff in there, but for my personal history album, um, I have less of that. I only put those things that are habitual to us that demonstrate our personality or character so people will know more about who we are and and what things mattered to us or what things we reverenced or how we how we did things and how we treated other people all of that sort of character building stuff that okay that was the perfect response because what I'm gathering from it is that it's not about getting as much on there but being super intentional with the photos, the stories, and the, even just the, the number of words that you include, you're, you're including the gist, what's most essential, mm. because that's what's going to be read in the future. <laughs> if, if you write, Sometimes if you write paragraphs and paragraphs, somebody may not read it. But if you write yeah. a few sentences on a small card, yeah. it might get read in the future. So yeah. I, I really appreciate that perspective, that story and simplicity can go together. Yeah, so for myself, I value the real estate in somebody's heart, in their in their mm-hmm. physical space. So I don't want 50 albums of everything that I've done in my life. I want four albums that will be impactful, that will change the thoughts and behaviours of somebody else's life, that they will be able to triumph over a tragedy or that they'll be able to um, – improve their personal circumstances because of something that I've experienced that I've been able to nurture a thought process in there how they can you know gain traction in something instead of being distracted from something you know it's it's about getting clarity so that we can you know as Greg McEwen says so that we can give our highest contribution effortlessly Which is his I love that. That's, that's the goal, isn't it? To do everything yeah. uh, with effortlessness. Yeah, that's his thing at the moment. So, yeah, it should be our thing. Thinking more towards our listeners here and what they can take away, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've been talking a lot about these the intersections between design and story, but sometimes minimalist design can feel harder than mm-hmm. fill the page with all the scrappy supplies. So what... What advice do you have for someone who's maybe attracted to it but's not sure how? Is it is it just your three Ps? Mm. Where how can someone really begin uh, and create in a way that it, it doesn't feel like stressful to try to make it perfect because it's not really about perfection? No, it's definitely not. It's actually about subtraction. That's what it's about, mm. and it's about keeping the essential, the priority. And being able to do that effortlessly, right? You can read all about that with Greg McEwen, but that's basically what it's about. Um, having said that, I know that, you know, there's this undertone of um, cohesiveness that you have to, that simplicity is really hard. I think there's enough design elements or people out there designing products that have the simplicity down pat that we can um, gain inspiration from, you know. So, for me, I think you just start with a story pillar and you drill it down from there. So if you want to write about your childhood, what specifically do you want to write about your childhood? Do you want to write about your birth? Then pick something about that, about your birthing experience, you know. Um, 
I think it's just breaking it down. I always keep things in three. Anything more than that, too much. Um, and then just have pillars that come off that, you know. So have a story pillar and then have three points of your content underneath that. Just simplify everything. We don't need to reinvent this big wheel and make things bigger than Ben-Hur. It's too much. We need to be able to do things effortlessly um, to be able to succeed and not get caught in things. Otherwise, this is where people get stuck in this perfectionism and it paralyzes people, you know, they procrastinate because they think, I can't do this. We don't want people to procrastinate. We want people to gain traction in things so that they become people of action. Um, Nothing worse than not having uh, an era out of history where we have no insight on anything. How'd they make the pyramids? Hello. (laughs) So, you know, um, there's things that, yeah, don't procrastinate. Get traction on things. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's one of our missions with the podcast is that there's lots of options out there for you. Mm. And some of those, a small subset, will be more effortless for you. Mm. And it might look like your style. It might look like my style or or something else completely. And you have to figure that out so that you are consistently moving forward and not yeah. feeling stuck. I think the thing for me is there's three things, right? Always in the three, right? So before I start any project, I already know what my font's going to be. I already know what my color palette's going to be. And I already know how I'm going to put that together. So that's called a creative footprint. And so if you have those things already down pat, you're not reinventing the wheel. And I think for myself, because I like cohesive things, you'll find something that I did three years ago will merge with something that I'm doing now because I like that consistency. It's just the structure of my personality. Um, I'm not saying everyone has to be like that. That would be dull and boring, wouldn't it? Um, But for me that works, you know, to my Mm -hmm. temperament. So I think most people get stuck on, oh, what font will I put with this and what colour will it be to match this photograph and everything? I don't work that way. My structure is um, this is my story pillar and those other things are going to work with that. And because my Mm -hmm. photos are all desaturated, I don't ever have to worry about what color I'm going to put with something or how it's going to change. And if I change a color, I work in the muted tones. It's always going to match because my photos are desaturated and my font structure doesn't change. You know, I keep the same things. I have the same design principles really from childhood, (laughs) to be honest. Um, And it just works for me. And the reason it works for me is because I like the simple look. I like things to be clean and tidy. Well, and I think we've talked about that a lot on the show and throughout um, our book club. We actually did read Essentialism for our book club a number of years back. Mm. And it's great, isn't the more it? <laughs> it is, it's mm. really a good one. Um, the more decisions that you can make in mm. advance. Mm. Uh, and I think this actually came up this year with um, Kendra Adachi's book. Uh, the lazy genius way and this idea mm. of deciding once like yeah. okay you've decided now this is what you do whether mm. that's the font that you always use for journaling or the shirt that you always wear on Tuesday anything that you can decide once you can fall back on that and then you don't have to make a decision again yeah and it you know just becomes a um, what do they call it muscle brain or something like that sorry mm-hmm. um, yeah you don't have to reinvent the wheel it's like growing up you know my dad was a policeman um, 
he was actually the drug registrar for New South Wales. So at a young age, decide I'm not going to do drugs, I'm not going to smoke. So when it was offered to me at high school, I already made that decision. It was a no-brainer, not going to do it, not going to participate in it. It's the same structured principle in anything that we apply to our lives. So with um, memory keeping, know what your creative footprint is. Work out what fonts you want to do. Work out your colour palette. Um, just even those two basics will actually give you a lot more agency to do what you want to do on your in your stories and your narratives, you know, whether that's physical or digital. Yes, yes. Or like me, I have a fashion uniform. I only wear black, white, gray, and pink. So Same here. <laughs> Nudes, you should see my wardrobe. And you're wearing black and I'm wearing white. <laughs> yes. Love it. <laughs> Sorry for all the colour people out there. We love you too. (laughs) Sally, this has been so delightful. Can you share where we can find you online and anything new or exciting you have coming up? Yes. So by the time this podcast comes out, um, I've done a collaboration with Becky Higgins for her app um, and she will have more of that information so you can um, follow her. I also have a new personal history collection which is coming out at the end of July. So it will be well and truly out and it's to help people document their early years and I'll be going through a chronological process of how people can write their living memories and document that for their posterity. Um, so how people can find me is you can either go to my website, which is www.wilsonwilson.org or you can go to my Instagram account, which is the same. It's wilsonwilson.org and if you click on my link there, um, you'll find Um, all the links that you need to invest in getting some free resources and some videos to watch about how you can use products in the Project Life app or the three Ps, for instance. I've got an entire blog on that to help people articulate more about their creative footprint and what that might look like for them. Um, Yeah, so lots of resources on the site. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Well, I'm so excited for your your Project Life app collection, and you're just a, a generous designer within the industry, and I so appreciate that with the education you provide and the free downloads. Um, just definitely have admired you over the years, and I'm so glad we had a chance to talk. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. That's so kind. Yeah, I'm really mindful of the fact that, you know, I've been blessed with talents, and I've had to grow those talents, and a part of that is actually um, – sharing those talents because that's how you increase them right and not everyone has resources so I don't think people should miss out because of that it doesn't hurt to be generous oh. or kind mm. that's so lovely of you thank you yeah. so much thank you for having me and to all of our listeners please remember that you have permission to scrapbook your way if you like the podcast you'll love being a member when you join you'll get access to weekly zoom crops bi-monthly retreats and a huge content library You can head over to simplescrapper.com slash membership to learn more and join our creative community.